Good morning, friends. My name is Don Orange. Um, by God's grace, I'm a child of God. I'm a struggling apprentice to Jesus, and I'm a mediocre preacher. Uh, Donnie once observed when we were out fly fishing, he said, uh, you preach like you fish. I said, really? He says, yeah, uh, sometimes you're in the water, but a lot of times you're in the trees. <laughs> so I say that so that you'll pray, not that you'll think less of Donnie, because I don't want you to think less of him. Um, most of my days I spend uh, working with people who have had a refugee experience in their background. Uh, trying to build bridges with them and be friends with them, help them in a variety of things. And the rest of the time, I drive a city bus for Greeley. And I want to tell you that uh, there's chatter at the uh, dispatch office about why all these people are swerving into the bus, waving their hands. And um, I know it's because you're waving at me, <laughs> even though it's probably not me. I really appreciate that. That's really kind of you and want to say thank you. On uh, Tuesday... Uh, September 17, uh, if you remember, the predicted storm was to arrive at 5 o'clock. Um, on that afternoon, I was driving a paratransit bus, which is one of those little buses to help people who have mobility issues. Um, they're trying to get to the doctor or get to the grocery store. Maybe they need to go to work or whatever. Um, you drive that bus around uh, town, and um, I was driving. Because of the storm, uh, a lot of people were canceling their rides, so even though I was supposed to work until 9 that evening, by 6 o'clock, the dispatch uh, called and said, hey, you're done, and um, you can come in, or if you'd like to work, we have a job. And I said, sure, I'm happy to help out, whatever it is that you need. And so within just a half an hour or so, I was seconded uh, to the cold weather shelter. And what that meant was from 7 to about 9.30, um, I drove around in a City of Greeley van, picking up people who had nowhere to go and bringing them to the cold weather shelter or transporting them there from the cold weather shelter over to uh, the roadway in after they'd been approved. In between those trips, though, um, I didn't have anything to do, and so I went inside, and I stood behind the food line uh, with my back to the cupboard and just kind of did one of these. Back here, food line out here. And I just watched, just, just watched my little uh, Greeley Evans Transit hat on and jacket on and, and just watched. And uh, I recognized a lot of people, a lot of people I've given bus rides to. Um, some of them I know by name by now. Uh, dozens of people passed by, some of them quietly grabbing their food and going and sitting down right over here on my right, sitting by themselves. I mean, you could feel kind of the isolation and the aloneness, uh, aloneness of the place. Um, others, of course, compensate in the other way by being really loud and noisy. Um, it seemed like everybody in there was coughing. Um, and some of the conversation was logical. Some of it wasn't. I mean, it reminded me of Cornerstone. <laughs> no, just scrub, scrub. <clears throat> no, 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 not at all. It's like the exact opposite of anything I've ever experienced um, here. But the cold weather shelter, uh, if you've ever been there or if you haven't, let me tell you, I think it's the kind of place that Jesus would really like. Um, 
I thought about standing on a chair next to me, standing up and saying, hey, everybody, listen. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe. Um, but I didn't. I, I'm mostly a coward at heart. Um, and just for the record, I, I don't often think of myself as Jesus, but it seemed like uh, that would have been a kind of an appropriate message. But I didn't do it. I just stood there and I watched and kind of wondered to myself. And I'm really glad I didn't stand up on the chair and make a big deal because I would have missed uh, what I saw just a little bit later. And I'm going to tell you about that in a few minutes just to make sure you stay for the sermon. <laughs> Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, this morning, would you open my eyes and our eyes to see the beauty of your gospel in Acts chapter 8? Would you open up my heart and our hearts to the message of grace again? And would you walk with us through this message so that at its conclusion, we would find ourselves together at your table? May the words of my heart and the meditations of the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen. So friends, we're in a uh, Acts uh, sermon series. We're in Acts chapter 8 today, and I just need to kind of set the stage. Um, many of you know the author Luke wrote this book to a man named Theophilus, and he also wrote it to us, but he was thinking about Theophilus, and he was writing about how the church grew, and the main thing I believe he wanted us and Theophilus to see was that the church grew as it did what Jesus did. So in the book of Acts, we have this story. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, you're going to do what I've been doing now, and it's going to go to the end of the earth. So the book of Acts is a story of how the Holy Spirit, through miraculous events and also human agents, continues the work of Jesus, how it moves out from Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. Now, up to this point, Acts chapter 1 through 7, the people who have been coming into the kingdom, who are following Jesus through baptism, most of these people are very similar to one another. They're a relatively homogeneous group. They've come from a Jewish background. And even when you see Greek names, chapters 1 through 7, those Greek names, those people were probably proselytes to Judaism. They knew what Judaism was about. And from Judaism, they had become followers of Jesus. But now, in chapter 8, as we turn the page in our Bible and we read chapter 8, the Holy Spirit begins to move beyond the Jewish people and Jewish proselytes. So, here we are to our text, and let's see if I can get my first slide to come up. And I can't. So, run like crazy. It, uh, oh, it is. How, you guys just put the clock on me on the back here? <laughs> Donnie? All right, here it is. Thank you, Marvin. Um, here's our text, and we're going to kind of in and out on the text here, so please follow me. So, uh, that's not the right slide. Here we are. Okay the first slide in Acts chapter uh, 8. 
Here's what the text says. For those who had been scattered, this is from that uh, time of persecution after Phil, uh, Stephen was killed. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. You know, Jesus has already been here in Samaria. Do you remember John chapter 4, the woman at the well? She's Samaritan. That's Samaria. Jesus has already been here, and it's kind of a big deal that Jesus had already been to Samaria. John, when he writes his gospel, says this, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. That, quite frankly, is an understatement. It's not, that's a nice way to say something really, really painful and awful. For over 500 years, 500 years, hatred has simmered between these two groups of people. Stereotypes have developed, discriminatory practices have festered on both sides of this equation. Jew on one side, Samaritan on the other, and they each saw each other as the enemy. Now, in Acts chapter 8, after probably four years have gone by, now it seems as if the Holy Spirit is going to say, move into that group. It's interesting to me that even though uh, they have been followers of Jesus, they're still hung up on their old ways. They still don't see that the gospel is for the Samaritans. So for four years, they live right next door. They're neighbors with these people. They don't see that the gospel is meant for them. But here in chapter 8, under the press of persecution, Philip goes to Samaria. And this is what happened. He goes to Samaria, and when the crowds heard Philip and saw signs that he performed, they paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. And then if we go on to uh, verse 12, when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, it's hard for us to feel and recognize how amazing this is, that this gospel message of Jesus applies to someone else. It doesn't apply just to us. It applies to someone else. And so Philip, who's brought the gospel here, sees this amazing thing happen as the Holy Spirit works miraculous signs. And as he shares with them, Jesus is the Messiah. He loves you, Samaritans. He offers forgiveness of sins, and he accepts you into his kingdom. And they are baptized in response. This is the slide that will repeat over and over again. I want you to see it this morning. Baptism provides the Samaritans a new identity, which the Apostle Paul is going to popularize in Christ. In Christ is this statement that means they have a new foundational reality which reframes everything about them. They are not first Samaritans. They are first in Christ. And that will make all the difference in the world. Now, uh, that's wonderful. Uh, would to God we could just kind of close it up and go home. But there's more for us in this text, and I'd like to share that with you. In this group of Samaritans, there's a special person that's identified. Read the text. 
Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted he was someone great in that all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Simon the sorcerer, as he's popularly known, has a lot of influence in control in Samaria. He somehow manages, nobody really knows what he did, but he somehow manages to exert a lot of influence over these people and even uh, win himself a name, the great power of God. One other thing that we should note before we leave him and move on, though, is that Simon the sorcerer is practicing the magic arts. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, if you read carefully, you will find out that the magic arts are condemned. They are not permitted. It is out of bounds for God's people. And yet, this is what happens. When they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So now again, we're really removed from this, so it's very hard to, to feel the shock of this. But here's Simon, a Samaritan and a sorcerer. And still, Luke tells us, the Holy Spirit works and breaks through those barriers so that even he hears the good news that Jesus is for him. Jesus forgives his sins and accepts him. It's amazing. And so what happens? It says that he's baptized. So Simon comes into the kingdom of God, like everyone else, with baptism. He has a new identity. He's now in Christ, and he has this new foundational reality which reframes everything about him. And this is where it gets really interesting. It gets really interesting because the lure of his old life, his life of power, his life of influence, his life of self-promotion, all of those things, the habits of his past, I mean, you just, they're very strong. And so we read in the text, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered him money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered him, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. You know, as I uh, have read Peter's words in the past, um, verses 20 and 21 there, I've always read them as condemnation and judgment. When I'm reading them for this preparation for this text, I hear them like this. Peter's telling Simon the clear truth. You continue down this path where your identity is about you, 
It's about your self-promotion and your influence over people. Continue down this path and you will perish. I think, you can disagree, I think Peter is calling Simon to repent. Don't do it. Don't go down this pathway. The Lord will forgive you. So that's what he says. Peter says, repent. He calls, calls him out and says, repent. Pray to the Lord in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon says, pray for me. Pray to the Lord so that nothing you have said would happen to me. I, again, my opinion, you can disagree if you want. Um, I think Simon when confronted like that by Peter, recognizes he wants to be free from his old way. He wants to be free from this bitterness and this captivity to sin, this captivity to his identity of being a sorcerer. And I think his story demonstrates that his new identity in Christ, the identity that's come uh, from being baptized, is not an immediate experience, but it's one that's a struggle of putting to death his old self and more fully embracing this new foundational reality as a child of God in Christ. All right, Luke has one more story for us I'd like to share and then we drive home what the texts are talking about. This, uh, we refer to this story as the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, so please read along with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip after this, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting with, in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit of, uh, told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Back in September, uh, let's see, in November, Pastor Steve uh, preached on this text. Powerful sermon on the Holy Spirit working through uh, Philip. Today, I want to focus on the Holy Spirit in the Ethiopian eunuch. And to do that, I want to make sure we understand who this person is and what he's about. First, uh, we call him Ethiopian, uh, and right away we think of the country Ethiopia. Probably not true. Probably more like a kingdom, the um, in South Sudan. Um, we can conclude that he was probably black. He was not Jewish, for sure. He was black. And with that, then, we all have to be careful. We like to take all of our ideas of what it means to be black in America, and we like to download that on this guy. And that's just not true. So you need to refrain from that. He's, he's black, but it's just a matter of ethnicity. It says nothing about his social class or his status. The next thing that we know about him is he's very wealthy. He's in charge of the treasury of the queen mother of Ethiopia. And he's in possession of the scroll of Isaiah. Now, this is hard to believe. This is before Amazon. <laughs> you just don't dial up a scroll, it's delivered to your home by Camel X, you know, the next day. It just doesn't work that way. He, but he's got a scroll. He's got a scroll, and apparently he can read. Now, just, uh, just FYI, nobody translated the scroll into Ethiopian. 
He's reading probably original language stuff right here. So just all of that said, I want to make sure we recognize he's very wealthy. He's probably very smart. And now we'll add uh, another thing. He's coming back from Jerusalem where he went to worship. That tells you and I that he's a proselyte. In other words, he's not Jewish, but he's converted or in the process of converting to Judaism. All right? Hence, he's got a scroll. One last detail here, and please don't read. I'm not trying to make big statements here. I'm just going to put this in your lap. You think about it. He's a eunuch, the text says. All right? It's not like uh, Luke just needed a few extra words to fill out the story. This is his reality. The Ethiopian is a eunuch. A eunuch is someone whose sexuality has been altered, either by natural defect or by force, or it could well have been his own volition. He chose to become an, uh, a eunuch so that he could serve the queen without any threat of sexual violence. He's the eunuch in charge of the treasury of the queen of Egypt. All right? He serves her. Now, the fact that he's a eunuch most likely means when he went to Jerusalem and had converted to Judaism, he was not allowed in the court where the Jewish people were. He was banned because of his physical situation. Because the Jewish law in Deuteronomy and Leviticus says that anyone who's been uh, sexually altered like that cannot come into God's presence. Okay? So although he's a convert to Old Testament faith, um, he's also an outcast. He's a foreigner and he's a eunuch. And it's probably that kind of isolating experience for him. He goes, he worships, but he's not really part of, that draws him to the text of Isaiah. And let me explain a little bit here. Acts says that while he's writing and sitting, he's reading this text of Isaiah. Seth Cain, in his sermon called Gospel Identity, suggests why this might be important. We all think he was reading Isaiah, and he was, he was reading Isaiah 53, but he didn't read anything else. I don't know where we get that idea from, uh, but we think he's just reading Isaiah 53. But here's a text from Isaiah 56. Let's read this together. What if the Ethiopian eunuch knew about this, this part of the scroll? Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. The Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give with, within, within my temple wall uh, and its walls, a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Now, if the Ethiopian, and you should assume he knows this. Can you imagine he's, he's riding home from the place where he's been excluded from the temple itself, and he's reading Isaiah the prophet who says, there's going to come a day, someday, when someone is going to do something so great 
that even people like you, eunuchs, foreigners, are going to be allowed in. That's amazing. And this is where we get the story. Philip comes running up alongside, and what do we hear? We hear that he's reading about Isaiah 53 in uh, lingo. He's reading about this person, the suffering servant. Well, actually, there's huge controversy. You may or may not know this. There's huge controversy in the Jewish community. Who is this suffering servant? Is it Israel, God's people? Is it an individual? If it is, it must be the Messiah, but we don't know. How could he be suffering? Who is this? And so Philip comes running alongside. He's reading Isaiah 53. What's the question out of his mouth as he sees a Jewish guy running alongside of him? Do you, the, the question is, who's the prophet talking about? Who is this person who's going to make this reality happen for me that I will be brought in? Who, who can make that? And the text says, so what does Philip do? Philip gets in the chariot, and they keep riding, and they keep going, and Philip begins to explain. The suffering servant, the one who is going to make it possible for you to be included, that one is Jesus. He was appointed by God before the foundation of the world, and he is the one who invites you into his kingdom. And this is what's really beautiful. As they travel along the road, they come to some water, and the eunuch says, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? What's in the way? It's, it sounds like I can come in. I can be included. And the answer is nothing. Nothing stands in the way. So what happens? The Ethiopian, Ethiopian submits himself to baptism right there, and he claims this new identity in Christ, which is his foundational identity now. It's the reality that reframes everything about him. It changes his life. Later that night at the uh, cold weather shelter, um, I was on one of those in-betweens, so I went in and I took up my post. Cupboards behind me, arms locked, and uh, people are coming by. Um, a character, I'll give him a, we'll call him uh, Ronnie Roy. That's not really his name, but anyhow. Uh, Ronnie Roy came up to me, and uh, he, de he de apparently doesn't understand personal space a whole lot, but anyhow, he came real close. and. Um, yeah, started to tell me, hey, good to see you, friend, you know, glad you're here. And, um, you know, I haven't seen you for a long time, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't think I've ever seen you before, Ronnie. Um, anyhow, and then he said, so do you have any free bus tickets? And, uh, no, no, I don't. And uh, then he started to talk to me, and um, I, trying to be um, like Jesus would, um, stood there and looked at him, and... Um, He's uh, one of these guys who, once he's got your ear, man, uh, you know. So, um, God have mercy on me. Um, he kept asking me for bus tickets. Uh, <laughs> multiple times. Got any free bus tickets? No. <laughs> no, I don't. So, I'm trying to figure out, how do I shake this guy? That doesn't sound like a very Jesus kind of thing, does it? <laughs> 
Um, we all know that um, when someone's got your ear and they're talking to you, that if you keep looking them in the eye, um, it just encourages that. So you look away while they're talking to you. God have mercy on me, forgive me. All right, and I looked away. But that's when I saw it. So I looked away from Ronnie uh, Roy and I saw it in the uh, doors directly across from the food line. They're glass doors like down here in the um, celebration center. And there it was. It was me uh, standing there um, in a group of people who don't own homes, who don't have much money, who are very broken and it's obvious, uh, are pretty screwed up. Um, there are, a lot of them are lost physically and spiritually, socially. Um, some of them are addicted. Uh, some of them are probably high. Some of them in the group are trying to recover, trying to get straight. And everybody there is just trying to make it through life. And the irony of all of this is I didn't look any different than the rest of them. I fit right in. You know, um, my flaws, I like to think anyhow, are a little bit more hidden. My egocentric behaviors are a little more disguised. Uh, my smug superiority hides under sometimes a face of false humility. Uh, my brokenness, brokenness can be hidden by some of the money that I have. But I saw it. I'm not the one with the answers. I'm one of them. I'm with them. They need Jesus desperately. I need Jesus desperately. Oh, please, I, I've met Jesus. I know Jesus. I know he saved me. I'm trusting him. But I need him desperately. I still need him desperately. And I'm really thankful for that. So let me say the obvious, and then we'll go back to the text. You, you know, right? We all know this. I think we do. There is no them and us. There's just us. We're all hopelessly broken. We've just landed in different places. You know, whenever I read this passage, this Acts chapter 8, and I have, you know, a few times over the years as a pastor and as a disciple, um, I always imagine myself as Philip. You know, the Holy Spirit speaks to Don and he gets on it and he runs alongside the child. I always imagine myself as Philip, and I've never really considered the fact that I might be the Samaritan. I might be Simon the Sorcerer. I might be the Ethiopian eunuch. The story right, might be really talking about me as one of those kinds of people. So let me just ask, you know, have you ever felt like you were a uh, second class kind of person? And maybe you've gone through a divorce and you feel it. Maybe you've had an abortion and you can never tell anyone. Maybe you've been the child of an alcoholic and you carry all the wounds and all the, the stuff that comes with that. 
Maybe you uh, lost your business because you didn't deal wisely financially. Maybe you were abused as a child and you, you never told anyone, but the, the sting and the shame and the, the dirty just kind of hangs with you and you bear it alone. Maybe you were uh, at church and you said something and someone corrected you. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, not the, that's the wrong doctrine. You got that wrong. No, no, no. And you were ashamed, and so now you just don't say anything. Or maybe you're just one of those people who feels like you're forgotten or you're ignored or you're invisible. The good news from the text is the Holy Spirit of God is moving towards you. That's really good news. The Holy Spirit is coming for you. Maybe um, you've given your life to Christ, you've been baptized, but you really struggle with past patterns. Patterns that are destructive. Things you know you shouldn't do, but you still catch yourself doing. Maybe you've got this incredible temper. Maybe you're caught by the, the trap of porn or lust. Maybe your thing is gossiping, and you know you shouldn't, but you, you find yourself gossiping, even in church, or lying. Maybe cheating just a little bit. Maybe you're kind of controlling, and you know you should trust Jesus, but you should just control, just take care of it or manipulate. And this is where the good news is. If you even remotely feel like Simon the Sorcerer in any way like that, the good news is, is that the Holy Spirit is moving toward you. There's grace for people like me and for people like you, or Maybe you feel like the Ethiopian eunuch in this way that you still don't feel like you fit in. Maybe there's this old tape in your mind that constantly tells you that you're not good enough, you don't measure up. Maybe there is a physical situation that you're dealing with or a background that just feels to you like it just, it's just keeps Jesus away. He, he just wouldn't have anything to do with me if he really knew. Or maybe, and here's a hard one, maybe you're single, um, especially in the church of married people. Or maybe you're married and you don't have, and you, you're, you're not able to have children. And so you really wonder, is there really a place for me? Do I really belong? And the really good news is, the Holy Spirit is moving toward you. He's moving toward me. That's what this is all about. Acts chapter 8 is this. There is great news that none of these kinds of things that the Samaritans experienced, Simon the sorcerer, the Ethiopian eunuch experienced, none of those things could keep God from moving into their life. He still moved. The apostle Paul, years later, is going to write to the uh, Galatians, and he's going to say this. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. There's the foundation. 
All of our differences are secondary to this one great reality that we are invited to come in Christ. So what's most true about us? What's most true is not what you see. What's most true about every person in this room and every person out there, every person at that shelter is this, that God has declared he loves us in Jesus. Paul, again, would pick up this great theme in Romans chapter 8, and in verse 35, he asks this rhetorical question, which he then answers, who can separate us? Who can keep us away from Christ and his love? And then there's this like four-verse answer, which I'm going to summarize. No one, no one can keep you from that love. Nothing can keep you from that love. You see, you today have been invited into his family. That's right, you. He has invited you to become part of his family and be made into a new creation. And as amazing as that is, this morning, he has invited you to come to his table. Offered to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.